the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Let me go deeper and tell you why this is so horrible. Because any image... Regardless of what it is, regardless, obscures the very glory of God. There is no image in the heavens or on earth or in the sea that can adequately convey the greatness and grandeur of God. As the Apostle Paul waited for his friends in Athens, his heart was torn by the way the people of the city were totally given over to idols. He decided that he must introduce them to the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. As he did this, Paul was very careful to emphasize the uniqueness of the living God. God does not live in any temple or house made with hands, and he is not like any image made by man's hands. He is the almighty, infinite God. Hello, this is Peter Silseth, welcoming you once again to Verse by Verse, the radio program featuring the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff. Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, whose clear biblical instruction has helped many in their walk with Christ. Right now on our program, Steve is in a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. Today he begins to examine the Second Commandment in which we learn that we are not to make an image of God. Let's join Pastor Steve now as he explains more. If you have ever been on a trip to Israel, a tour, it's very likely that your tour guide warned you against taking any photographs of ultra-Orthodox Jews, those especially living in Jerusalem. And even though they are quite striking in appearance, they, have, they are the ones with long black coats, broad hats, full beards. Uh, the young men have what we call payas, where the hair is hanging there. Uh, even though they are very striking in appearance, they don't want you taking a picture of them. In fact, they could become violent if you take a picture of them. Watch for your camera if they do. And the reason that your tour guide wisely warned you against taking pictures of them is because ultra-Orthodox Jews believe that the Bible forbids any kind of portrait, any kind of portrait. And they base this belief on the second of the Ten Commandments. And I'd like you, based on that, to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We began a study several weeks ago on the Ten Commandments. And in our first study, we basically zeroed in on the, the primary truth that the Ten Commandments are relevant for us. They're, they're not limited or restricted to a former past dispensation. They are for us. They are not limited to Israel. They are for us. God has placed his law within our hearts. People before the Ten Commandments were given knew what was right and wrong. People today without the Ten Commandments in written form know what's right 
and what's wrong. And then last week we looked at the very first of the commandments, which says that we are not to be idol worshipers. We are not to be involved in idolatry of any kind. Now, this morning we have come to the second of the Ten Commandments, and I want to read it to you. It's not just in one verse, it's in three verses. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth below or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, it is very clear from the first few words of this commandment that in some sense there is a prohibition against making images against some kind of images because God says you shall not make for yourselves an idol or a graven image. A graven image means the carved image, a a physical reproduction of some form. Even a surface glance at this verse would indicate that. And these images we're, we're told concerning the likeness of anything in heaven, in the heavens it means on earth, and the waters, that, that pretty much covers everything. Anything of the likeness, the heavens, which would be the stars, the planets, uh, would be birds, anything on earth, and anything in the waters would be fish. So that includes everything. And so the question is, are we breaking the second commandment by having photographs and artwork in our homes or any place? Are ultra-Orthodox Jews right in shunning personal photographs for fear of breaking this commandment. And I might add that they are not the only ones who believe this. The Amish also ban personal photographs because of the second commandment. In fact, they go so far as to uh, the dolls that little Amish girls have, have no faces on them. They are blank because of this commandment. It's not only groups like that. It's not only ultra-Orthodox groups, Amish groups, which we would say are out of the mainstream of of biblical Christianity. It's not only them, the Puritans of another generation. Puritans were deeply committed to biblical truth. We would, we would agree with almost everything that the Puritans held to biblically. They were sound in their theology. But the Puritans looked at this commandment and, and based on it, they refused to hang pictures in their homes because they came to look at all art as idolatrous. So it isn't just a, a group a zealous but misguided group in Israel. It isn't just the the Amish who are very legalistic and really do not know the gospel, do not know Christ as Savior. The Puritans held to this. So what are we to think? Now, before you start thinking about taking down pictures in your home and throwing away family albums, I want you to know that, that those who forbid any type of artwork, whether it be a painting, a photograph, sculptor, whatever form it might come in, because they think it violates the second commandment, have actually misunderstood this commandment. They may be very, very sincere. They may be very zealous about this, but they have misunderstood the intent of this commandment. And I want you to know why. There are two reasons right off the bat why you can know that this is not a prohibition against creative art. First of all, because there are specific places in the Old Testament where God commands artwork. God himself commands artwork and he commands decorative pieces such as the two sculptured golden angels with outstretched wings across the the lid of the Ark of the Covenant known as the mercy seat. God said 
that they are to, you are to have two gold, gold angels, cherubim, with outstretched wings. The uh, Ark of the Covenant was where the Ten Commandments were to be put. Where they are now, no one knows. Not even Indiana Jones knows, really, where they are. But on the mercy seat, you had artwork, and God said to put it there. Also, Solomon's temple had decorative displays of animals. There are lions and angels. You can look this up on your own. First Kings chapter 7 speaks of that. And at one time, God specifically commanded the children of Israel in their wanderness uh, in their wilderness wanderings to actually make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole as a symbol of redemption. Remember, snakes were killing them and God said, you put a bronze snake, an image on a pole and uh, when people look at it, they'll, they'll be fine. That's a picture of redemption because Jesus spoke of that in John chapter three when he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. Meaning, meaning as, as the people in Israel were to look and be physically healed by looking at the serpent. So when we look upon Christ with an understanding that he was lifted up on the cross for sinners, so then we will be healed of our own sin and the need for salvation. And so based on these scriptures, and there are many others, I just chose these, we, we know that God is not opposed to artistic images. In fact, he encourages them. Secondly, the context of, of the second commandment is idolatry and worship. It has nothing to do with creative art. It has nothing to do with artistic masterpieces and things of that nature. The context, and you always have to study the Bible in its context or else it makes no sense. The context is the setting, the environment. That's, that's why we study the Bible at Lakeside verse by verse. If you remove, remove that and approach it any other way, you are in danger of, of st- taking it out of context. The only way you understand what the Bible means by what it says is to see it in the progressive flow of the text. The context here is worship. Notice verse 5 says, you shall not worship them or serve them. That's what God is talking about. What God is prohibiting in the second commandment has to do with making an image of him for the purpose of worshiping him. That's the point. In other words, your worship of God should be free of any visible representations of him. And the big picture is this. The purpose of the second commandment has to do with the proper way that we worship God. That's what he's talking about. How do we worship God? Now, you may say, but wait a minute. I thought I just heard a message on this. Didn't you speak last week on this? Well, yes and no. What you, what you thought was that the first commandment is just like the second commandment. That's, you may be thinking that. What's, what's the difference? Isn't this a duplicate? Didn't I just sit through a sermon last week on this? Well, there are similarities, but they are distinct. They are distinct, and I want to explain it to you. I want you to also know you're not the only ones who have ever thought that, that, that the second commandment is just like the first commandment. Both the Roman Catholic Church and Lutheran churches actually combine the first and second commandments to form one commandment. And so what they must do, because you still have to have 10, there's not nine commandments, what they do then is they divide the last commandment into two parts, so that they arrive at 10 commandments. It's a rather um, uh, abrupt and unnatural division, but that's what they do. And it's easy to see why they would do that, because both the first and second commandments do both deal with idolatry. But while they're related to each other, they're not the same. 
There's a distinction. There's a difference. And let me explain the difference. The first commandment forbids the worship of all other gods, but the one true God. Verse three says, you shall have no other gods before or beside me. No other gods, no other gods that are physical representations, no other gods of uh, the wrong thinking, no, no other images, nothing like that. No other gods, but the one true God. But the second commandment tells us how this one true God is to be worshiped. You see the difference? The first commandment says, I am the Lord God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. There are no other gods. They're, they're all false. But the second commandment follows us and says, based on knowing the one who the one true God is, now understand how he is to be approached in worship. And he's not to be approached with any graven images or any visual aids. One Bible teacher explained the relationship of these two commandments this way. He wrote, the first commandment forbids the worship of any false God. And the second demands that we do not worship the one true God in an unworthy manner. It is not enough to worship the correct God. You must worship the correct God correctly. That's the point. And this morning, we want to discover how to worship the correct God in the correct way, in the correct manner. And the way to do this is to determine the real meaning, the real intent of the second commandment. Now, I want you to notice, before even getting into this, I want you to notice that the second commandment does not come in a cut and dry statement like the first commandment. It's not packaged that way. It's not given that way. There are actually three parts to this commandment. There is a commandment, but there are three parts that that all go together. First of all, there is a prohibition against worshiping God with any images. That's the first part. And it's found in verses four and five. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. That's the first part. And it's a a clear, direct uh, forbiddance of worshiping God using any images. Secondly, God gives a reason for this forbiddance. God gives a a definite reason why this is so important and why we don't worship him this way. And this is found in the middle of verse five. And it's very very, uh, plain, it's very to the point. God says this, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous for our affection. God does not want us to be divided in our affection. God is jealous that we worship him properly and that we not have a divided heart. There is a third aspect to this commandment, and that's found in verses 5, the end of verse 5 and verse 6, where God gives the consequences for disobedience to this commandment and obedience. This is a very serious commandment, as they all are, but Here, God specifically tells us if we don't obey it, there are some serious consequences. If we do obey it, there are some wonderful consequences. He said this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So those are the three components that make up this one commandment. So what we want to do this morning is work our way through these verses, unpack these three truths and put it all together in a cohesive unit. So let's begin by looking at the first truth that's revealed here, and it is the command itself. It is the prohibition against worshiping with images. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. It's important to understand historically that at the time of Moses, when this commandment was given to the children of Israel, 
All the Gentile nations, every one of the Gentile nations worshipped idols. There was not one nation on the face of this planet that did not worship idols. And more than one idol, many idols. And every one of those gods and goddesses were represented by some form. By some form. Some physical form and representation. For example, the god Baal, who you read about in the Old Testament many times. Baal was worshipped in the form of a bull. The goddess Asherah was worshipped in the form of a carved pole. And all the gods and goddesses were like that. You see, ancient people would never, never think of worshipping a god or a goddess without some type of visible and physical form representing that god. It was unheard of. Now, that's, that's the historical context. That's the setting here. And what God is saying to Israel is that your worship of me is to be different. It's to be different because I'm different. I'm not like them. God wanted Israel to understand that he was not to be worshipped the way other gods were to be worshipped. Unlike the false gods of the world, our God, the one true God, is invisible. He has no form. He is invisible. And they were not to reduce him to some visual form or representation in their worship. In fact, years later, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in explaining to the children of Israel about this, Moses clarifies this. And this is important to understand. Deuteronomy comes at about the end of the 40-year wanderings that the children of Israel had, and, and that generation pretty much had died out. Moses would not be allowed to go into the promised land because of his own sin. But before he died, he, he writes Deuteronomy, and he explains to the children of Israel about the laws that were given to their fathers. And in clarifying to the children of the original generation, he explains the issue here. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, we read this. Moses said, so watch yourselves carefully since you did not see any form on the day the Lord made, uh, spoke to you rather at Horeb, that would be Mount Sinai, from the midst of the fire. He's saying there's no form. Remember that. There was no form that God spoke to you in so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of, of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth. And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of the heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. I mean, that's the point. That's the clarification. You see, it's not that God is, is warning the people here about worshiping a false god. That already was dealt with in the first commandment. He's warning them about worshiping the true God by reducing him to some visual age, just like all the other pagan nations. And yet, folks, tragically, this is precisely what Israel did when they made the golden calf. Let's look at that, Exodus 32. Remember we looked at this last week. We said how ridiculous it was. This is, this is the story where Aaron said, the people asked me to, uh, to do this. I got all their jewelry. I threw it in the fire and this calf came out. I don't know how it got here. It just, you know, kind of like in our day, we'd say, if you believe that, then you'd believe that Elvis is still alive. I mean, that's just amazing. But that's what he tried to pull. I don't know, Moses, how it got here. But I want you to know, you look at that and you think, how wicked, how wicked that they did that and they went after another God. Actually, they didn't think they were going after another God. They did not think that. They thought they were worshiping Jehovah, the Lord God, when they were doing that. You say, well, how, how'd you get that? 
Exodus 32, let's look at this, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Why? You know why? Because he's in the mountain getting, getting more commandments and, and getting the Ten Commandments put on tablets of stone with the finger of God actually put him there. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand. Now watch this. He fashioned it with a, with a graving tool. So we get the expression graven image. It means carved tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, if you just look at that alone, you might think, oh, now look at them. They're going after a false God, but that's not what they were thinking. And and you see this in verse five. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Jehovah, in Aaron's mind and in the people's mind, they considered this worship to be of God. They considered it to be of God. And they're thinking they weren't abandoning the one true God for another God. They thought they were honoring God by using a symbol of power, a bull or a, or a calf to represent the Lord who had so powerfully delivered them from Egypt. That is precisely what's in their thinking. And that is precisely what God has forbidden in the second commandment. One scholar put it this way. They broke the law before God even had time to deliver it to them on tablets of stone, such as the tendency he writes of every carnal heart. But that's what was going on. It wasn't in their minds that they were going after a false God. It was, they, were, they were worshiping the true God, but what they were doing was worshiping in a wicked, wicked way. And I want you to understand that this, the, the violation of this commandment is extremely wicked. It is hideous to God. Why is this such a big deal? And I need to clarify this because some people say, but you know what? An image helps me. If I have a cross in front of me or some kind of religious object or an icon, I don't worship that, but I feel closer to God. This is a very relevant subject. Why does God prohibit us in our worship of him from using any image or figure or object, even if you think it makes you feel closer to God and enhances your worship? The answer is because in reality, none of those visuals enhance the worship of the Lord. They only serve to dishonor the Lord. It is a wicked thing to bow down to some statue or picture or, or uh, any object and claim that you are worshiping the true God of the Bible. Let me, let me go deeper and tell you why this is so, so horrible. Because any image, regardless of what it is, regardless, obscures the very glory of God. There is no image in the heavens or on earth or in the sea that can adequately, adequately convey the greatness and grandeur of God. In fact, the Bible says God is spirit. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, who who tried to to get him off on on a religious discussion of where it would be best to worship God. And uh, she said, now you Jews say it's in Jerusalem here, your temple. We say it's on Mount Gerizim. And uh, what's what's the right place? And Jesus said, forget it, it doesn't matter where. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But Jesus affirmed that God is spirit, which means that God is invisible. 
He's not a material being that can be reduced to some tangible form or symbol. He is beyond our earthly vision. And the New Testament reiterates that truth many, many times. For example, 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. John 1.18. No man, we're told, has seen God at any time. Now men had glimpses. Of God, but no one has seen God in his fullness. No one can and live. Hebrews eleven twenty seven refers to God as him who is invisible. God is invisible. You you've never seen God. Can't see him. Not in not in pure spirit. First Timothy six sixteen says that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see. We may at times wish that God was visible to us we might think that it would help us to believe in Him. Yet the invisible nature of God is part of His greatness. He is so great and so infinite that nothing can contain Him and nothing can adequately portray Him. I want to thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse. We are glad to be able to make these biblical lessons available to you on the radio. You can also listen to them at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We know that it is wrong to make images of God, but how should we view images of Christ? Pastor Steve will have more to say on this, so tune in next time for Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.